0: This is Sean and you're listening to Promise, a podcast showcasing the heroes of tomorrow. Every episode is an exploration on the idea of Promise itself. Whether that's the potential for success or the commitments we make to get there, I speak with exceptional purpose-driven people on their journeys to change the world. This week, I speak with Ellen Wing. After completing the StartMate First Believers program, Ella is taking her first steps on her angel investment journey alongside a career in tech sales. In a wide-ranging and at times deeply personal conversation, we speak about Ella's motivations to support founders, what being an angel investor really means, navigating a changing global economy, imposter syndrome, the life journey to get this far, and finally, wrapping up with the joy and gratefulness of going through hardship. Please enjoy my discussion with Ellen Wing. So far on the Promise podcast, we've chatted with a whole variety of startup founders. Now it's time to explore people who are supporting them. So today on the show, we welcome Ellen Wing, who is taking her first steps into angel investing. Ella, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me.
0: Very glad to have you here. Ella, please tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you doing right now? And what got you interested in angel investing?
1: Currently, I am an account executive who just recently started at a company called Okta, which handles identity from a security standpoint. was really exciting. And I've been at companies like Slack, Aruba HPE. And the thing about those companies that I really love is that we're all about that open ecosystem, and we work with a lot of startups. So that kind of led me to being very exposed to this world. And you know, what got me interested in angel investing, Ashley, is for a long time, to me, an investor is the Mark Cuban, the Warren Buffetts of the world, and is this idea of this exclusive network. With a requirement of having at least, you know, a billion dollars of spare cash to play around with, right? And so some of these angel investors that I know of hold a VP title like nine out of 10 times with huge domain expertise and networking in their field. And to me, that's quite daunting to think of already. If I were to be an angel investor, I would be doing it alongside these folks, board members, executives, like talk about imposter syndrome. It's huge. <laughs> So I had the privilege of meeting a few founders at the previous companies that I mentioned, and the spark and excitement that I felt talking to those guys was second to none. And I feel like my partner would be mad at me for saying that, (laughs) but it was an absolute thrill to listen to their founding stories to start. But the hardship, the countless pitches that they were doing, the meetings that they went to and went absolutely nowhere – until that one meeting that ultimately changed their lives. And they talk about their first customer, the way they talk about their first invoice, and how they showed their mum and their spouse and their kids, the few hundred bucks that they made the first time. But of course, that story about the first believer that they came across, and knowing how much that support means to them, even till today, it got me thinking like i truly wish I could help startups go up leaps and bounds through highs and lows, right? And man, to me, it's damn hard for any regular person to leave a safe job and go chase something that they're so passionate about. So I just want to meet founders who are just relentlessly pursuing their contrarian ideas, despite people telling them that they're insane. I'm, I'm sure Bill Gates, Steve Jobs have been told and still being told that they're crazy, but there is a bigger vision that they can see, and they're not letting anyone stopping them from going after that. I think the other thing as well is, I'm really fascinated about the complexity of picking the right startups. To me, that's not simple. It's not picking something that is wildly popular because if it is, then it's already too late for you as an angel investor. So. If There was a quote I came across actually in a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, very famous. (laughs) And he said, if you just go with the flow, you'll end up where the flow goes, which is usually downhill, (laughs) which I find pretty funny. I just love how difficult it is. It isn't a formula you can follow. There's no podcast in the world you can listen to and it'll give you like a no fail guarantee approach. And you have to be a very good judge of potential in the people and their ideas. So that's to me is really fascinating. And the most recent experience that's super practical was being able to participate in Sartmate First Believers program, which is a bloody awesome program by the way, for angel investors out there that are listening. I got to meet really thought diverse bunch of investors, founders as well as part of the programs such as Accelerators, Fellowship, part of Sartmate and currently, Blackbird Giants mentoring program as well. And you just realize these people are just a bunch of really great people, really nice, genuine, and they're constantly helping one another without question. But of course, they're in it to win it. And as we wrapped up with the program and with the amount of exposure we had to various founders, investors, I was like, okay, I want to dive in head first and start learning fast, fail fast, and get really good at understanding what good, bad looks like. So here I am.
0: Fantastic. Great introduction. Thank you, Ella. There's a few things that you mentioned there, which I really resonate with. Like I love the inspiring stories that founders have. And I'm hoping that through the course of this podcast, we've been able to share a few of those. But on top of that, what I want to draw on is your first impressions of what an angel investor was or who an angel investor was. You threw out names like Mark Cuban and Warren Buffett, people who are known for their wealth. And you also said that that's your impression of who an angel investor needed to be. I'm guessing implying that you're not that yourself. What made you realize that you could also contribute to this ecosystem without having the buckets of money like those guys?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. And I want to take a step back. Something that has been really hard for me to overcome and still overcoming is this limit that I set myself, telling myself that, oh, I won't have as many years of experience, so I won't be able to add the same value. And I remember... Back at HPE, where I was being mentored by a senior executive there, she was my mentor at the time, and I had voiced out that I wanted to be in management one day, and she knew that at times I would have to deal with this imposter syndrome that I keep having, and her advice to me was actually something I just want to take for my whole entire career and apply that, is that the ceiling is what you create. And so if you want to bring about change, you need to start breaking that ceiling for others. And I thought that was an incredible advice. I knew that I always wanted to help people and to drive a positive impact, but it became evident to me that I needed to act upon that outside of the organization that I work for. And so at the beginning of this journey, it was after we had that session with Christy Jenkins where she spoke about her transitioning from being a full-time athlete into an investor, into the VC world. And to get insanely good one day at this future VC gig that she badly wanted, she was like, I got to focus on meeting as many founders as I can, building deal flow from the very start. And so she was like, okay, what are some of the things I'm really good at? What are things that I can offer startups here, there, And so immediately after that session, I sat down and I was like, okay, what the hell is Ella good at? Because sometimes you just forget what you actually do and what you're actually good at. And so I started looking at my professional achievements across the years, projects I've been able to lead or participate, and what are some of the values that I actually drove? What are some of the changes that I drove? And what did that mean for the company? So ultimately for me, I have an immense passion for sales because the people that are in it and people that I meet. And so the more founders I speak to now, the more I realize how much value I can add for them, helping them with getting something up and going, especially around figuring out their ideal customer profile and how they go about their product validation approach. So I've been loving it. I love it even more when You know, it's never been about me telling anyone what to do, but just simply sharing my experience and allowing founders to really take that and think about what is actually applicable for their company. So I think that's been a huge learning lesson for me as well as I listen to them digest that information. And, you know, of course, it's true that angel investing is going to require capital I came to understand that there are huge opportunities to invest smaller amounts and still make a really good impact, such as contributions through Startmate Continuity Fund that we have via StartMate Small Bets Fund that we participate in. And there are other ways like offering mentorship, guidance to founders, to speak to people and helping them connect with people. I think you know what you're doing as well, Sean, through the podcast and just giving them the stage helping them pitch their own products and solutions and startups has been really resourceful for those people. So, yeah, I I think there's, there's so many ways outside of just funding.
0: Excellent. And I guess, to a degree, that answers the next question that I had. But if you're happy to expand more on it, I'd love to hear, what do you think being an angel investor actually means in that case?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I'd love to take my spin on that a little bit. And again, it's a lot more than providing funding. In fact, a lot of startups don't want you to just put in funding. They get real picky at who they choose and on board as investors. And it's been even during this time, like the economy has been shaken up hugely. So they want to look for partners that they can partner with for a long, long time. And I think it means that you know an angel investor has to really believe in one's potential. The founder's vision, And really have that courage to take a chance in something new and untested. And it means being that mentor, that partner with them, offering them guidance and really through all the ups and the downs as well, truly, not just be there for the highest in the cash. (laughs) And to me, I actually think that being an angel investor isn't being an expert, isn't just stepping into the room and talk about what they're really good at, what they've learned that are freaking amazing i think it's getting comfortable with asking real dumb questions as well to deeply deeply understand founders because they are at the end of the day subject matter experts in their industries and that's why they want to tackle the problems that they want to tackle and you have to do that with genuine curiosity because it's super important to understand the gaps and what you can do as an angel investor really help bridge those gaps for these startups I want to bring up a bit of an example of Airbnb, actually. I remember this story because they were struggling. They were struggling in 2008 to really keep the startup afloat and maxed out their credit cards and they were struggling to raise funds from other investors. And so that was when they met Paul Graham. He is and was an angel investor and the co-founder of Y Combinator And he really saw that potential in Airbnb and decided to invest, hear me out, 20 grand in the company. 20 grand for people at the back. It wasn't 200K, it wasn't 2 mil, it was 20K that really, really helped Airbnb to continue developing their platform and just grow their user base. And now today, Airbnb is valued over like a $100 billion. And so I guess a message for founders out there is that know that angel investors who believe in you and your vision they're willing to take a chance on your ideas supporting you through the challenges in building a successful company those people are the right one to partner with and of course like to all the angel investors your willingness to support and encouraging that next generation of innovators is incredible long answer short that's how I would define an angel investor <laughs>
0: I think the naming behind the First Believers program is pretty apt in alignment with your views there. Just thinking about you yourself as a person taking your first steps into this angel investment journey, I'm sure that you must have thought about this by now, but if not, we can talk through it. What general ideas or themes do you want to invest in and why?
1: Yeah, for sure. I've had some thoughts to this and over time, this has transformed as well two things I pay attention to. One is the supporting infrastructure for the future of work. And two is the enablement of data-driven decision-making. And I do think that these are two pillars that are very intertwined with each other and they kind of go hand in hand and I'll go into that in a second as well. I'm super passionate about the future of work because of where I came from at Slack. That was what Slack was all about during the pandemic And if you look at the way we work now, you and I can both agree that this isn't the way we used to work, right? Like the pandemic has truly accelerated all these, I guess, pandemic-induced changes. Remote work is the norm. Employees are almost juggling family duties and work at the same time. And whatever else that they're doing as well, they're finding a lot of joy in that. But at the same time, it's madness. And we also see companies now pulling their workforce in all sorts of different directions. Everyone has a different way of doing it, approaching it. Some are going back to five days a week, three days a week. Some are pushing flexibility further by allowing employees to work overseas. That's incredible. And some are going for a more hybrid solution. Who to say that what is right or wrong? And how does an organization almost manage these fluctuating expectations between board members, and their employees. This is, again, like a massive rabbit hole that we can dive into. But aside from that, we also see digital transformation now taking place in fewer months and sometimes in weeks. And I've seen it happen in a week before. Companies are expanding their digital footprint and every company is becoming a digital native business. And they've spent a huge amount adopting new SaaS tools to enable their workforce, customers, their solution itself. Gardner stated that the average organization has about 80 SaaS applications in their toolbox. And that number is projected to increase as well by something like 18 to 20% by 2025. That's in two years time. That's crazy. Again, this is another pandemic change that we've seen. And I think what that tells us is that there is a ginormous amount of data that businesses are now relying on. But how do they centralize all that data? How do they even turn that into useful business insights? If every single application is used by thousands and thousands of employees and customers, where does that data go and how do we make sense of it, right? So as businesses continue to rely really heavily on data-driven insights, there is a growing need to bridge the gap between the non-technical and the technical users. So how do we marry that up? And I think we need to create that and realize that opportunity for companies that can really provide a more user-friendly solution that allows the two parties to access and make sense of that data so any startups out there that are looking to really simplify this journey, perhaps helping companies make more meaningful decisions a lot faster as well, I'm I'm there. You've got my attention. I also want to look into startups that focus on all that innovative training for the workforce, data-driven solutions that enable employees' well-being. And that's a really important one, DEI, remote collaboration, to really, again, support the backbone of the future of work. And so that would be the two focus for me.
0: Excellent. We will grab your socials and contact info towards the end of the show so that such companies that you might be interested (laughs) in can reach out to you, um, as well as anybody else who likes the sound of Ellen Wing and would like to partner with you. So thinking about the kinds of companies that you want to invest in and the vision of the future that you've just laid out for us and why that's the way the world is going. So let's ride that wave. How do you weigh up that personal interest alongside, obviously, your vision of how the world looks like in the future, alongside, I guess, what every angel investor must think about, which is the financial return of the investments that you make?
1: For sure. I think there's not a one-size-fiddle answer to that. And I think it really varies depending on what you value. And to me, personal interest is super important because that means that I can really identify opportunities that especially align with my values, expertise, and interests. And of course, with this in mind, when considering investment opportunities – Understanding whether the team have done their due diligence to find out product market fit or even go-to-market fit, that's really crucial. And at the end of the day, for me, when you hear people talking about a successful investor, they're not saying he got a four-times liquidation preference. They're saying he invested in Google. And what is Google made up of? It's made up of brilliant people that are focused on the problem. So to me, it's... Definitely a really good balance of the three. But I think at the end of the day, the people are the ones that are making all of that happen. And I think, of course, the ethics of that as well, which is going to be really important in evaluating a startup team, the founding team. But, yeah, it's all of that that I mentioned. I'm excited for the future of the world, but it's got to be a mix of are people psychologically ready for that is it really a good product market fit? And are people ready to actually show up with their wallets? And and are we doing that in a way where the economy is going to welcome that?
0: Yeah, fantastic. Great segue into my next question, which is about where ethical concerns fit within your framework. So just to put that into context currently, obviously, you have some specific interest into the future of work. And at this very moment in time, there is a lot of consternation about how GPT might affect the future of the workplace, whether or not it might make a whole raft of content creation jobs redundant, for example. I guess looking at it from an ethical point of view and keeping people's livelihoods going because they have content creation jobs in some way, shape, or form, yeah, how do you reconcile ethics versus what's happening on the ground, and where things might go.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a really good thing that you brought up because it's definitely controversial. I feel like OpenAI, ChatGPT, all of that is almost like a buzzword, but it's a very heated topic for some people as well. I think when it comes to technology, I do believe that it is something that can fall into the hands of both good and bad actors in all cases, right? Like the internet. Anyone can access the internet, anybody In the world. And so the world we live in consists of a mix of good and bad. I personally, being selfish, want 100% of technology, should have the intention to change the world for the better and make a positive impact. Unfortunately, this isn't always the case. But I think it's important to look at who is driving that boat? Who is driving that change? Who are the people that are putting in the guardrails to build out this solution? And so over time, as we are still early in the stages of this, it is okay to fail. It is okay to look at those risks and look at, okay, well, that is something that's going to happen. How do we encourage people to actually adopt that change? And I think the other thing I want to mention as well is as humans, there's a reason why we're way more advanced than other animals is because partially it's our ability to really adapt to change and how we react to that proactively. And to me, I see this as, yes, it's going to eradicate jobs. And in the past, it has with the internet, like everything in the past, if you look at technological change, it has done that. It's important for people to look at that and go, okay, how can I upskill in the right areas to now really add value to the new economy? We haven't even looked at how many jobs AI can actually potentially create for people. So how does a content creator then look at say, okay, how do I take my day job as a content creator, implement AI as a tool that can really add further value to what I'm doing? Can I focus my attention in projects that will really give me that revenue as a content creator 10 times, 100 times, whatever that means, right? So to me, I would look at that problem with deep optimism instead of being fearful of this change
0: okay all right now given that uh open ai is on the tip of our tongue at this point in time and has really only come to public prominence in the last sort of six months or so let's think about where you're at at the start of your angel investing journey and looking at companies that are out there successful companies that are out there at this point in time What's one company that you wished you could have invested in and why?
1: Okay, well, I actually think that's a very interesting question you asked because the company I have in mind is a controversial one, which is OpenAI. I definitely wish I had the opportunity to invest in that. And I don't know if you've heard of Alan Kay. He's like the father of personal computers. And I remember he said the best method To forecast the future is to create it. And I do think, I believe heavily that OpenAI was a very fine example of this. (laughs) And the reason they were established in the beginning, which again, like this is a really big interest of mine is the concern with the developments of AGI and they began as a non-for-profit. But the way they've pivoted is really interesting because they were like, okay, we don't have the ability to raise enough capital. So how do we fund these? research activities that we're doing for good we need money somehow and it doesn't sound like what they're doing is cheap right they started with like a billion dollars funding and that ran out really quickly so they had to commercialize their applications and solutions adopting a hybrid approach i think they called it capped profit yes they raised more capital but it attracted a lot of scrutiny broke a lot of relationships. Of course, you've heard of how Elon Musk parted ways. He's even getting a petition up and running to go against the developments of it. And yeah, so it's really interesting what's happening right there. And of course, they've been bought by Microsoft for $10 billion. Of course, I want a piece of that pie. That's some really great financial returns. But I think what truly resonated with me, though, is how much transparency they've brought to the table, to the industry, to that space with the intent to mitigate the dangers of AI. And by opening up chat GPT to the public, the average person can really embrace the kind of technology, the kind of AI advancements that we've been able to achieve today. So I think that's an incredible milestone. But also, I think it will challenge a lot of other companies to really innovate further. What are they doing now to step up and participate this game that OpenAI is playing and almost in, in a way leading? It's back to that future of work. It's going to change the way we work, how we approach our work, and whether or not it's going to make us more productive if we use it the right way is going to be the big question.
0: And what do you think the future holds for OpenAI?
1: I have a lot of predictions, but it's something that a lot of people are talking about and you mentioned as well. Will AI replace our jobs and do a better job than what we're doing today? Me being an absolute optimist, I think that OpenAI and AI in general play a really big role in creating new jobs and new markets in the future. And I can see OpenAI being a leader in the development of responsible AI, building out those guardrails for society in conjunction with various governments, private entities. And it's interesting, knowing that Microsoft has a very deep history and relationship with governments and the military This could mean government agencies considering OpenAI as a key partner in both regulating the industry or certain industries and advancing the AI capabilities to keep up with other countries, other governments in the world. So that's very interesting. But will OpenAI and their technologies eradicate jobs? I think it will. I think it will, 100%. There's no doubt about that. I see a lot of admin heavy jobs, tasks, very mundane ones, being automated using AI. And so to me, I see this, again, being a huge opportunity for people to lean into their strengths and further develop upskill, but then also ask themselves, so how do I leverage that as something that is going to make me 10, a billion times richer than I am today? And I think, this may even bring flexibility to the frontline workers instead of constraining and eradicating some of those jobs. There's a massive opportunity in the healthcare, education, government construction, you name it, those kind of spaces. And I think that's when we can see it transform the way we live instead of just the way we work. It's a lot that we're facing right now. is a big change, but I'm excited to see what that looks like in the future.
0: Excellent. Remains to be seen indeed. But it's definitely important, from my perspective at least, that we are having the conversations about what it means and how we should or should not manage it. Ella, thank you so much for sharing a lot about your investment thesis. I would love to have you share a little bit more about yourself as a person so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better, especially potentially founders who might want to work with you. I know that you're a a migrant to Australia. Talk us through your background from migrating to settling here and obviously having a career in customer success. What was that like? And do you think that has shaped your desire to be an investor at all?
1: Yeah, for sure. For the ones that do know me, even the startups that have spoken to me before, I feel like they all know that I don't really enjoy talking about myself. But Sean, you've done it. (laughs) And yeah, so I grew up actually in Vietnam and I only came here when I was about 12 13 that was when I moved to Sydney and I moved here without my parents so that was a daunting time but going back to how I grew up man we we went through some pretty tough times because my mum was yeah we had nothing she was working multiple jobs and she started out as the tailor so she would fix clothes And design clothes sometimes in her spare time. And then she was like, okay, how do I build out wealth to allow my family to flourish and my children to flourish in the future? Who can I talk to? I'll just go talk to everybody, everyone. And she started building out her network. She got a new job. She started working multiple jobs and fast forward to today. She owns multiple companies. Mum is my definite role model. And I think. Mum and dad have been a massive influence for sure on who I am and how I am as a person. And the one thing that they taught me, which I hold very highly today, is that every change, every obstacle and every connection is an opportunity. No matter what the challenge looks like, it is an opportunity. No matter how difficult it looks like, it's an opportunity. (laughs) And so if anything ever seems scary, you count from three and you just do it. Much like when you were like, hey, Ella, do you want to do this podcast? I was like, well, that sounds scary. I'll do it. (laughs) So it's just this, okay, let's jump in, try things out. The worst thing that can really happen is you fail or you get a rejection. What? You're not going to (laughs) die. So it's okay. And so from the age of 16, I have been attending meetings with, this is going to sound really funny, but with potential business prospects for my mum. As she was flying places, she was often overseas for work. So I was almost her secretary attending these meetings on her behalf. And it was extremely random at times where I remember there was a meeting with this potential business prospect of hers. And I was like, okay, let me just go to the bathroom quickly. Went into a bathroom, called my mom. And was like, mum, what do I, what am I meant to say? Or what am I meant to look out for? What is the purpose of me being here? Because she worked in the real estate industry. I also attended numerous open homes, auctions. And so I was exposed to that side of business really early on. And I think that was definitely a blessing in disguise, even though back then I was like, this is such a burden. (laughs) It really helped for sure. So I admire mum for really pushing me out of my comfort zone. And I was able to do that at such a young age. During high school as well, I was able to get a casual job. But then, oh, well, this is boring. Working is not meant to be this boring, is it? Hey, what is that one thing that I'm really good at? I'm pretty good at picking up new skills and just learning on the fly. So what is actually booming right now? And I was thinking, okay, maybe people are looking at makeup tutorials a lot. People are, the cosmetics industry is booming. Let's learn how to do people's makeup. So I went and made a lot of business cards and printed a few hundreds brochures using the school printer. And I went to multiple apartment buildings and just dropped those into people's mailboxes and was like, okay, I really hope people email me back. I truly made a gmail with a business name on it and all this effort please email me back or send me something and next thing you know I got bombarded with inquiries about my service and so that was almost the beginning of my little entrepreneurial gig (laughs) that was my experiment but of course fast forward to today I'm in tech sales and I kind of just fell into it accidentally but man it taught me so much and it seriously heightened my Imposter syndrome, once again, (laughs) I've been able to meet some of the most incredibly smart people. And they've exposed me to all sorts of different challenges, companies. I was able to really look at the challenges in supply chain and how we were tackling that at Aruba HPE and the different go-to-market model each company would have. I was very exposed to that at Slack, dealing with a lot of startups. And yeah, I, I met Startmate, here I am. And it's amazing how much of that learning I can give back to founders to help them tackle issues that they face as they establish their startup. So yeah, that's my little story there.
0: Yeah, awesome. I didn't actually know the story about you dropping off flyers and mailboxes (laughs) and stuff like that, but that's actually great to hear. You started off following in your mom's footsteps, and she's obviously an entrepreneur. She's gone on to own multiple companies, as you've said. And it's a fairly common migrant story where someone pitches up in a new country and starts a new business. I think there was a BBC article recently about the refugees from the Ukrainian war ending up in the UK and starting up new lives and new businesses to sustain their livelihood. So bearing in mind that it's a common migrant story and you started off down that path by dropping off all of these flyers, but you ended up in tech sales. Did you ever consider pursuing entrepreneurship in the long run?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I want to tell you a funny story first. Asian parents, you know how they're pretty superstitious? Yeah. My mum went to a fortune teller and somehow got this whole little tiny little booklet written up all about my whole life journey up until I I died, apparently. And according to that little booklet, sometime in my late 30s, apparently I will be taking on this massive career change that holds big potential for building a new business. So I'm like, hey, you never know, mum, the fortune teller might be right. And mum advocates for that heavily. I know that she one day wants to see me building up my startup and doing my own thing, which is what she did. But for sure, I've seen it firsthand. All of these challenges that mum had to go through to really build up her company in the first few stages was really stressful. And for her to expand that into multiple sectors as well, the long hours, A lot of flying, like a lot of flying. Financial hardship, the almost filing for bankruptcy multiple times early on in that journey was, I felt that secondhand stress every single time. Have I considered that same path? Oh yeah, 100%. That story about dropping flyers in people's mailboxes was only the highlight of the many Because I remember as a teenager, going into uni days, I've always thought about what can I do to build my own side hustle? After thinking about it all, especially right now in this stage of my career, I think I'm in a very sweet spot just because learning these nuances through running a business territory as an account executive in sales, in tech sales, while also being a sponge in the startup ecosystem as a newbie investor, it's a lot to learn from. And I find it really interesting that in every stage of a company, there's always going to be a new obstacle that one may have to face, right? And the way they approach that also depends on the state of the economy at the time, the time that they're in, luck, all of that plays such a big role. And so what one ends up doing isn't going to look the same every single time. And I find that really fascinating. There's so much to learn. And whilst That's not going to make things perfect once I do decide to do my own thing. It is a massive opportunity to now build out a very deep network and an opportunity to unpack a lot of those challenges that businesses have to face. I cannot just dive in and be like, I want to find something that's going to make me money that's not the person that I am. I want to actually find a pain that I'm very passionate about. I think I'm not there yet in terms of finding out what that is. But until then, I want to be able to just tackle that head first. And I need to be the domain expert. I just cannot do it with any other way. But yeah, I've, I've thought about that one.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe the little fortune telling book might have some clues as to what your next gig will be in the future. <laughs> we will stay tuned for that, I'm sure. With all of these stories about your family and the upbringing, and what you've learned from both your mom and her experiences and your own experiences. How do you think this story has shaped your specific investment thesis looking at the future of work and data?
1: Yeah, I think it 100% influenced a lot of my views around the world, people, business opportunities. The first thing before even talking about my investment thesis is that I have this rule where there should not be a brilliant jerk that I will be working with. No brilliant jerks allowed. Because to me, to become successful, it doesn't mean you trample all over other people to get there. To me, that's not ethical. It's not the way I view success. Successful people are genuine people that want to tackle issues that matter to the world. And it may be in construction. It may be in healthcare. It doesn't actually have to be around environmental impact. Because when I ask people, what does that mean to you? What does good ethics mean to you? They tend to talk about diversity, inclusion, and environmental impact. To me, it's making a difference in the world, no matter how you put it. And it could be anything. Going back to how my journey has shaped my investment thesis Again, it's got a lot of influence from my mum and the way she approached everything head on. And I've been able to see her, no matter what sort of challenge she's faced, she's got this very open attitude to it and the future is unknown. But you have to be excited at every single challenge or idea that's going to come to you. So when you look at the future, like right now, AI advancements, that's daunting. What is the future of work has for us? It could mean we go back to work five days a week. You never know, right? It could mean that AI is going to eradicate your job. How are you going to tackle that challenge? We need to have a think about all those things now. I think that's also a con in myself as well. Thinking so much ahead that I sometimes forget to dial back. And so it's so important to look at that goal my investment thesis if you want to put it that way and to look for the best startups that has an alignment to my thesis that I can help so yeah I'm not sure if that answered the question that you have but it's got a lot of influence for sure
0: Absolutely there's a couple of things you mentioned there I want to pull on those threads Firstly was you said the future is unknowable and yes obviously that's 100% true, but we can make predictions. And you did also say that you spend a lot of time off in the far future. So let's look at the far future and what your predictions might be. Instead of thinking about where we're probably headed, I'd love to hear where you hope we're headed. And... If everything goes right for you, if you're able to find the people who are not brilliant jerks that you would like to work with and support, and they become successful, what do you think the world will look like?
1: Yeah, a very good question, Sean. I think, to me, that it would be a very challenging and stressful world, not going to lie. The reason I say that is the kind of stress that makes us feel grateful And it brings immense happiness is what I'm talking about. And without the negatives, the positive ones just won't really be as significant or even exist at all. So that's like a bit of a (laughs) preface. There would certainly be a strong emphasis on ramping up education, skill development, leading the workforce that is well-challenged, well-equipped for the future Tackling these challenges head on and the way companies high will start to change as well. The demand for high skilled talents will become greater. And I feel like that's going to stay well as we look at everything today, mass layoffs, people are competing for jobs like crazy. And you see this massive pool. It used to be that there were a ton of jobs out there during the pandemic. And now the supply of jobs are not really nearly enough compared to what we were looking at before. So we'll see that coming back. But there will be a really high demand for highly talented, highly skilled people that are willing to get themselves upskilled and be very competitive in that sense. And the economy, of course, will be thriving, of course, in my eyes, in a perfect world with a focus on sustainability and environmental preservation. And always technology should be used for the greater good and that should give us a world of opportunities and possibilities with a lot of complexity to tackle in the mix, I really hope that all of that technology advancement will allow people to gain access to the basic necessities like food, shelter, healthcare, education. Because with that foundation in place, a lot of people will find themselves and world problems will start solving themselves. Because we talk a lot about these problems like plastic use and all that. What about education? What about in developing countries where we can't actually educate people to not use plastic? Why? We haven't taught them why. We put kids into a mathematics lesson and then we just make them study without telling them why they need to study it. Because sort of digress a little bit, when I went to the Museum of Design in London, there were a lot of information around why mathematics is super important to us. The chair I'm sitting on is done through the use of mathematics, understanding space and time, and understanding the creation of a computer, the internet, GPS, the ATM. Like, everything was done with the help of maths. Why did we not tell our kids that? I think the education piece is super powerful. If we can just allow that to happen, a lot of the other issues that matter to us as well will just start solving itself in a way i want to see a world where people just are compassionate towards each other and working towards creating a society that is super inclusive and equitable for everybody and of course that is the perfect world but i see communities as a whole being taken more seriously we actually belong in certain communities we can find our communities a lot easier we can find our social groups a lot easier maybe in the past or even today You have to join a lot of different communities and really do your research to enter those communities. And I see a future where people can just really select the communities and be welcomed and have groups where they create synergies together and just work on business ventures together, invest together. So that, I think we're heading there, but the perfect world doesn't exist, does it?
0: (laughs) Not yet, but it could. And if it could, considering the the vision of the future that you just painted for us, what do you think you personally need to do or want to do to help try and build that world?
1: I think the one mission for me has always been, how do I help people get equal access to the networks and to the opportunities that maybe the next person has and the next person doesn't have? So how do I do that? I want to become that bridge and I will try and show up at every program or perhaps an opportunity where I can make a difference and connect people together. The more people I know and the bigger that network that I have, the more I can help people. That's what I believe in very strongly. And yes, I also need to eradicate the fact that I think I have this limit that I hit and I can't add the same value because I don't have that expertise right now. However, I think providing connections is definitely my strongest suit. And just listen. People think listening is just the basic fundamental thing that everyone does. I highly doubt that. I highly doubt that people actually listen intentionally And not just listen to reply, but listen to understand. And of course, we've heard that before, but I don't think a lot of people actually practice that truly. I'm not perfect today. I'm not perfect in that sense that I'm the best listener in the world, but I want to thrive towards that. I want to make sure that I improve every single day so that people feel heard. So what is it that sits behind the pain point that they're telling me? I need to dive in further because sometimes what people say may be just the surface of that. Can I dig deep into that and help them uncover that problem? I think that's how I would love to help and to build that future perfect world that we're talking about.
0: Love it. Absolutely love it. As a design researcher, you've ticked all my boxes, that's for sure. Ella, thank you so much for joining us today on The Promise Podcast. The last thing that I'll get you to do is to share any social media or contact info in case any budding founders want to reach out to you or anybody else would like to work with you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Ellen Nguyen. Just in case, if it doesn't pop up, last name Nguyen. the most common Vietnamese name you'll ever find. But I'm sure you'll know how to spell it in time. If not, contact me and I'll show you how to pronounce it too. <laughs> All
0: right. Thank you once again.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for today's episode of Promise. Be sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Do you think you or someone you know would have ideas worth sharing? send me an email to sean at promise.fm. Otherwise, subscribe and stay tuned to learn from tomorrow's heroes and what we've got is promise.